Yeah. Yeah. We live right now, right? We live right now? What we doing? Yeah. You guys like this for my, uh, it's my, I want this for my intro music for all time. Wyatt knows me. Like I said, I don't know why, but I get along with lesbians and 19 year old white kids. I don't know what, it, that's, that's my fan base, I guess. But that's it though, right? Wyatt knows me. That, didn't it just kind of perk you up? For free music it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Good job, Wyatt, thank you. Right. Tales from the Gemini, it's BT. I, it's always, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for joining me. And thanks for, man, we're steadily growing the audience. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for hitting me up on my DMs and asking me questions and this and that. And, and the words of encouragement, I appreciate that. Why am I talking like LL Cool J? Why am I talking like LL Cool J? I appreciate everybody, you know, liking the new album. But I appreciate you guys, um, seriously, giving me the, uh, DMing me and, and telling me this and that. And, and offering suggestions for, for guests, which I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And thank you for just the words of encouragement. Sometimes you don't know who's listening, man, and people, you know, like, they listen and they watch, and I just want to say thank you for that, man. It just keeps me going, and, you know, it's what I love doing, so thank you so much for that. Today, we have a guest, um, uh, great journalist named Neil Morrison. He's, uh, he's uh, obviously a MotoGP journalist, but uh, I met him in uh, Silverstone last year, man, and, and before I even knew I wanted to do this, I was like, I want to talk to that guy. So we're going to have him on here in about two or three minutes here. Um, but um, so we're, uh, as, as of this recording, we're a week from the election and we're still boarded up. As you can tell, I'm, that's why I'm focused on the camera now because there's nothing to distract me from people walking by. Everybody knows when I'm talking and a pretty girl walks by, I'm like, oh my God. So, but I'm all, because we're boarded up. We we're afraid people were going to come in and, um, and break the window or whatever. But I don't have, we don't have to worry about that, do we, Wyatt? No, I mean, we had that new trial verdict for the Jay Sean Reed case. That's why we still have him up. Oh, oh, the dude that uh, shot at the police? Yeah, that's why we still have him up. Oh, they, yeah. They, they protested last night, and they're about to tonight. Oh, damn it. Well, that, no offense to that dude, but it's the case in Indianapolis where the guy, he Facebooked it, right? He was yeah, Facebook, Facebook li live. He's Facebook live in it, and then he, he got out. He uh, they, With a gun, he shot at the police. They shot him, and they killed him. But they're trying to say he didn't have a gun, right? Is that what they're trying to say? I think people are trying to say that, yeah. I mean, he had a gun. I mean, I don't know, man. Of all the cases, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, why am I talking about that when I talk about happy <laughs> stuff? This is, a, this is a good happy stuff. Anyway, I'm going to hit Neil up. You don't mind, do you? I'm going to hit Neil up now. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Good, man, because I want to talk about this. I want to talk about MotoGP. And I know nothing about Neil, so this is going to be great. Um, so send me a link now. He's got it. Okay. Um, you know, it's my favorite part. Click the link now. I love how people see how the uh, the pizza's made. I don't want to say the sausage, but how the pizza's made. The pizza. I'll, yeah, I'll say pizza. People say, you know, you don't, you don't want to see how the sausage is made. I don't like sausage anyway. You know, like bacon. Bacon's a lot of fat, isn't it? Yeah, but it's good. Oh, it's a lot of fat. You say it's good now, and you get 50, and your arteries are, you know. You think it's good. It's got a lot of fat, man, and I don't know. Uh, so, anyway, I'm waiting for Neil to come on. You send the link? Yeah, he hasn't clicked it yet. Well, obviously, if, if he did, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Now would I? Now would I? There he is. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Here we go. One of my faves. Oh, here we go. There's me, obviously. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, here we go. Waiting for the link. Here we go. My favorite, as always. Ah, there he is. Hey, what's up, Neil? Yo, what's going on, man? How, How are you, you buddy? 
I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? Good. Northern Ireland's Luciano Pavarotti, Mr. Neil Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Neil Morrison, buddy. Great to have you on. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I was telling uh, the guest before he came on, I go, man, you know what? I always respected what you did. And then last year, uh, we ran into each other at Silverstone. We were walking and we just had a little conversation. I was like, man, I like that guy. I want to talk to him more. And, you know, you guys work. And I'm just there for shits and giggles. But you guys work, work. So you had to get going. I was like, I like that guy. And, you know, and I hear you on the on the thing. And I don't know if if, uh, if Steve or Matt told you about my impression of you. But, but I like I mean, you've done your, your impression for me. Um, you, you want me to do you for you? No, you've already done it for, for me. But it's, it's quite accurate, I must say. <laughs> have, you, have you heard it? Have you heard it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did it for me. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. That's balls, isn't it? I did me. I did you in front. I did me doing you in front of you. That's balls right there. I didn't even realize I did that. I'm like, and now we have Amy down on pit lane. Amy, I, I, I love it. I mean, honestly, you guys, you guys are the best. But I heard you do an American accent. Yeah, yeah, I do a pretty good American accent, actually. Yeah, my ex-girlfriend was from, or is from America. So uh, I kind of spent a lot of time around Americans. So not too bad, I guess you could say. Where in America was she? Where in America was she? Uh, she is from New York. New York? Yeah, okay. exactly. Oh. Although she didn't have like... An she didn't have like a city accent, just like a, a standard sort of neutral American accent. Now, where'd you meet her? Where'd you meet her? <laughs> uh, I met her at work. Um, yeah, we were, we were teachers actually together. Um, Look at this. I didn't, even, I didn't even notice about you. Like, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you don't know anything about Neil. You are just like, you're like the white, very white. You get that, that deep voice. You're tall, and then you lull people to like, hello, can I talk to you? Like, oh, my God, where are you from? I'm from Northern Ireland. Oh, my God. Next thing you know, panties are dropping, and it's a good time. So, okay, I want to hear your American accent. I want to hear your American accent. Uh, well, I'd just like to say that I'm, like, so stoked to be on your show, BT. Like, so stoked. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that. I mean that. <laughs> <laughs> man that is great oh my god i would never imagine hearing that coming from you that is beautiful i'm gonna hear a little bit of, i'm gonna hear that again i want to hear that again hear that again like i just want to say i'm so happy to be on your show today pt and thank you from the bottom of my heart <laughs> <laughs> It's almost as good as your impression of me. No, <laughs> what we ought to do, we ought to do a comedy act. I'm doing you, and you do the American yeah. girl accent. I'll do me picking up you, but you do the American girl accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the me. funny thing of meeting them, of meeting my ex-girlfriend and her friends was I would ask them questions about themselves, like, how are you doing? Where are you from? What are you doing with yourself? And they would just be like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Because they couldn't understand what I was saying. So it was just like, oh, yeah, cool. Interesting, huh? <laughs> why couldn't they understand yeah. you? I mean, honestly, I can understand you. It, I mean, why couldn't they? Maybe they were just stupid. It could have been that, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> what crossed my mind. Now, did you teach? Did you, <laughs> don't you hate girls' friends? I mean, seriously, sometimes you're like, you like the girlfriend, but you don't like her friends. And then it's like, in a way, you, in a way, it's hard to respect her for having them as friends, in a way. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. So, so, so how'd you, now, so you, you met her teaching? 
Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was like a teacher for an English teacher for a couple of years before I got into the MotoGP thing. Um, and we were teaching in Indonesia, actually, um, quite random. So that's how we that's how we initially came together. Wow. So, OK, so how, now how did that happen? Because I know nothing about you other than the MotoGP <laughs> and the journal. Because I, I, I try to do my research on you and it's all articles and GP and podcast. Matter of fact, I listened to your podcast as I fell asleep last night. And honestly, it was great. And I wanted to you know, know more about you, but there's nothing personal. Uh, I mean, so I had, to, I had to search and search and there is nothing. It's like your slate is wiped clean. I'm, I think you're like a murderer <laughs> from someplace else. And then all of a sudden you just popped up on the scene because you were a good writer. And I was like, this guy's good. And you go, yeah, I am. Can I get a job with you guys? Thank you so much. Amy, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so how did this all happen? Okay, so you grew up. Tell me the whole thing. You grew up Northern Ireland, I'm assuming, right? Yep. Where, like what exactly. city? Um, a town called Bangor, which is about 15 minutes outside Belfast, like the capital city. Okay. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I like went studied for four years, and then I graduated what 2009. So it was just like when the um, just after the the crash had happened, and there was nothing really happening. So I kind of wanted to do a bit of traveling and see a bit of the world, do something a bit interesting or different um, before I kind of settled down as such. So yeah, um, the first I, I did like a, a qualification so I could teach English. Then. Uh, the first school that offered me a job was in Jakarta, in Indonesia. So I was like, I guess this would be interesting. This would be fun. So yeah, I went and lived there for a year. So yeah, that was wow, that was, and that's then, unbelievable. Yeah. And, and what was your major? What was your major? Uh, history. Wow, man, that's okay. So how, now, how did you go from there to get to the GP paddock and work for MotoGP? How did that? How did that occur? Uh, I mean, I'd always been like a mad MotoGP fan. Um, growing up in Northern Ireland, like Northern Ireland's a, a bike mad place. All of Ireland is pretty bike mad, to be honest. Right. I would say maybe behind football and rugby, you probably got motorcycle racing. Um, so yeah, I kind of grew up watching bike racing on the Isle of Man um, at local races in Ireland. I'd just always been mad into it. Like I was obsessed like completely obsessed yeah um and i'd always sort of enjoyed writing and i got a kick out of that and thought it would be kind of cool if i could write about sports something that i'm really into yeah and um, while i was teaching i kind of figured after about two years i was like i don't think i want to be a teacher for the rest of my life so i started like writing different things and um i ended up writing like for a cultural magazine you know writing about art exhibitions and stuff and i said man I don't really know what I'm talking about when I'm writing here. You know, I'm sort of, I'm sort of blabbering and just bluffing it, you know, like right. blagging it. And uh, yeah, then I thought maybe I should try and write about some things that I'm interested in. So I really pushed and wrote a few things for MotoGP and it took a couple of years, man, to right, get course. noticed and eventually, you know, maybe make some money from it. And then yeah, just one thing led to another. I got a few lucky breaks and yeah, gradually got, got to write for a few magazines, websites. Uh, yeah, and that's that's really it, man. Yeah. Well, it's like I tell people, man, and, and it sounds so corny, but I'm at the stage of my life where the cliches are actually true, but it's like if you leave with your passion, you know, you follow your heart, leave with your passion, and you put your everything into it, something good's going to come out of that, man. I mean, it's the same way here. I mean, I mean, honestly, I feel the same way about motorcycles also, and, and I got reconnected with motorcycles in 2006 when I moved to Indianapolis. 
And okay. I just, oh my God, you know, this this is the love that I've been missing. When I live in LA, it was so much about career and everything. And I've always liked bikes, and but they had to go on the on the back burner. And once I moved here, I got reconnected with it. And it's like it's like finding that old girlfriend that you always were in love with, and she moved away before <laughs> Facebook, and you didn't know where she was. And then you see her like, oh my God. There's Alicia, you know what I mean? And that's what it's like. So I know what the feeling is. So like, so you went from, okay, I write for this. And all of a sudden you moved to uh, Barcelona and you're working for MotoGP. I mean, tell me the, were you like, is this really happening? I mean, did that hit you like that? Or like, oh no, I'm good. So. No, no, no. Like the first, uh, I mean, I still kind of get it to be honest. I'm walking around like, I'm really talking to this guy. Um, is this really my job? Is this my life? You know, I kind of catch myself randomly, like walking through the paddock, like talking to Matt on air live, like, well, what the hell am I doing here? Like, oh, you know. um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it took probably about a year to get over that feeling. And um, then, you know, once you get accustomed to it, it's, it's just like regular job, I guess. But yeah, it's not a regular job in the sense that you, uh, you, kind of think, oh, God, I've got to go to work. You still go with a bit of excitement, you know, and that's cool. But, that, yeah. but that's, that's, you, that's what you got to have to get you through, though, personally. Because I don't ever want to go to a job where you go, ah, oh, fuck, I got to go to work. You know what I mean? I think you want to be, I mean, it's, it's, and it's always to be good. I've learned this, I learned this a long time ago from this, uh, this sports guy that I don't really like, but he has great advice. And he goes, it's always good to feel a little bit uncomfortable at your job because it, it makes you focus more. Cause you know you get to a mm -hmm. job, you know what you do. You know you walk through the, you walk through it. So it's always good to be a little bit uncomfortable. But man, every day to wake up knowing you're going to the track, and there's nothing better than a racetrack. And you then that and like no matter how early you get there, there's always a bike starting up. You know, no matter how early you get there, even if you get there where they're just opening the fence, there's always like a ning, 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 like a Moto Three bike getting started up. Like how is that possible? You know what I mean? There's always a bike start. So I can imagine being there working your dream and you're just every day you're going to a racetrack you're talking to the guys who you were, were your heroes and now you're talking to and interviewing them and you're at the right i mean that's just that passion it's got to be there it's got to feel great every day you do that man yeah yeah i mean i'm i have to say i love watching you say that because it, it sort of rekindles a bit of passion this year i think just because of the calendar and the intensity of the calendar right. i think we've had like three weekends off in the past three months I don't know so it's been thick and fast and you know you get a bit like oh my god another day and it all just blends into one however you're absolutely right and uh yeah you do generally get that sort of excitement especially on the Sunday when there's a race a couple of races going to happen well okay here's here's where like maybe and I can understand that I really do man because sometimes when I was really living on the road doing comedy and I literally would wake up going, man, what city am I in? And you look at the hotel and you got to go, okay, okay, what city, what city? And we, you know, sometimes you do two or three weeks of one-nighters and you're just going, what the hell, where the hell am I? And I know that feeling, but I always tell people this, when you think maybe you're losing it, maybe, you know, the passion is now, always watch Rocky. Rocky makes you realize why you did this in the first place. Because Rocky rekindled that passion. You know, he was just a club fighter and he got that shot. And then you realize, okay, I'm just a dude who this was my, uh, just my shits and giggles. I'm going to write about it because I'm passionate about it. Now I'm working it. So it's different. So watch Rocky. Whenever you get that feeling, Rocky will rekindle that passion, man, always. That's a good uh, good bit of advice. Uh, it's been far too long since I watched Rocky, to be honest. So watch watch it again. Watch it again. Matter of fact, watch it tonight after we get up there. Until you go, oh my god! And then when I hear you on Friday morning, I go, I can feel it hearing your voice. You go, you know, I'm so ready. Uh, matter of fact, Amy, um, down to you in pit lane, and you're like, wow, you sound and she'll be like, you sound different. 
Neil, what? Why you sound different? And she'll say that, and you'll because of what? <laughs> yeah, she'll be like, "Why are you calling me Adrian, Neil?" I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I meant Demi, not Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what I was going to ask you also, man, was um, ah, what was the question I was going to ask? I was asking you about about this, and uh, no, you have it lucky because you're actually working it now. For somebody like me in the states, you don't understand, man. I have to Moto three, and Moto three to me is the ultimate because it kicks off the weekend. So I always watch Moto three. I don't just you know watch Moto GP. I watch all of it. So. It's four o'clock in the morning. Moto GP comes on, and it's like you hear that music. I'm like, all right, GP starting. And then I hear, you know, Matt talking. And then you come on, and then you hear that. And I call them the bumblebees. Oh, and and to me, it starts the GP weekend, and that's what I love more than anything. And then you know, you get the rest of the weekend. But I'm not gonna lie, I always take a nap during Moto Two FP One. I mean, that's when I have to take a nap. <laughs> Understandable. I won't hold that against you. To be fair. So you're lucky. You're actually there. So you're lucky you're actually there. So good for you, though, man. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And what I want to ask you, and I'm not going to say who said it, and I because I said I got to get a couple questions here to throw Neil. And one of your colleagues, I'm not going to say which one, he goes, ask him, how much were you shitting yourself on uh, your first uh, Qatar FP1, knowing you're going to be on the air for the first time? <laughs> man, I was, yeah, that exactly what you said yeah i was crapping it i was sweating i didn't i didn't know if i was going to be able to string a sentence together and to be honest i've never gone back and watched that session because i'm pretty sure that it was terrible you know matt and i were we're starting off i think we had no commentary experience we were thrown into it we had no basic time together in a studio to practice and take cues off one another so it was i think it was a bit of a mess but yeah man i was I was uh, sweating, and uh, I think when I get a bit nervous, I just mumble and kind of close up. <laughs> so it was probably just like incomprehensible. So yeah, I don't think it was great. To be fair. But, but you know what? <laughs> I, how do you deal with being thrown into something like that? But then you read the comments, you know, and the criticism. How do you deal with the criticism? Um, yeah, you just sort of like look at it with like dead eyes and just think, ah, okay, yeah, I guess that's probably fair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never um, thought, like, you know, I have my YouTube channel and everything, and I, you know, trying to review the right just for shits and giggles and fun, like you guys. And I really thought, like, oh, somebody says anything, you know, disparaging about me, I'd take it, I'd be like, huh. But you know what, honestly, what I do is, and I have, I just have just a few com uh, people who comment, so I hit them back. You know, if, if I feel like it's bad, I, I'll go, hey, well, I just felt that. And it's funny how you can just feel them like get like, oh, God, he really reads this shit. And they come back with a, well, I just feel that, you know what I mean? So, and, but I yeah. do sometimes take the criticism like, okay, they were right on this. Or, and if I feel they were wrong, I confront them. So I think you should start doing it. Go to Reddit. And all those people that write yeah. talk shit about you on Reddit say, hey, um, why don't you try doing this, motherfucker? You should say that to them. You should say, if you comment, <laughs> comment back with like, why don't you try this, motherfucker? I think, honestly, you get more respect than that. Mm, okay, right, yeah. Reddit, I'm not really uh, that familiar with Reddit, to be honest. More of, uh, more of a Twitter person, but... Yeah, I might try that out. Do that, and and you tell them I sent you. And if you have any problems, you forward that forward it to me. And trust me, I'll 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 be the man for you. I'll be your muscle. Okay, right. <laughs> now, let's fast forward, and then finally getting the GP. Because I always like to find out, like the uh, you know the backstory on people. Because you know we'll get to the, the the good stuff later on. But I always want to know you know the backstory on you. And so, what happened with the girlfriend, man, from America? What happened there? Why'd you guys break up? Her friends? Well, we. Uh, yeah, I guess we're friends. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, we tried. We tried. I mean, basically, it boiled down to I wanted to live in Europe, and she wanted to move back to the states. And we kind of tried some time in Europe, and we tried some time in the states. And 
you know, I just don't think it was meant to be, sadly. Um, <laughs> one of those things, right? <laughs> you're such a lover boy. You're like, you know what? I can find a girl in, in Europe. I don't need this. Now, where in the States did you, did you live in New York? You lived in New York? No, no. So uh, she got a job in uh, North Carolina, in Charlotte, um, because she was a teacher and she still is a teacher, actually. Um, and she got her first teaching job in America in uh, in charlotte so um yes yeah, so i've up sticks and, and moved over there but only for a couple of months man you I, live I in charlotte me. north carolina i did yeah um yes. how did did you like the sweet tea <laughs> sweet tea was all right actually yeah it's pretty good man how about yeah. the fried chicken did, did you eat fried chicken yeah i mean i ate incredibly well man like, uh, <laughs> I had like a little little pot belly by the time i left i'm a pretty tall thin gangly guy but I took a few months to work off that little pot belly I left Charlotte with. <laughs> okay, okay. Since you and we're lived in the South, which is better, uh, Popeyes, KFC, churches, or Bojangles? Um, probably Popeyes. They did like a fried chicken and gravy kind of dinner thing, which was amazing. It was like crack cocaine, man. You just like want them more coming back for it, you know. And like KFC, KFC has like really, I don't know about the States, but um, KFC is so bad in Ireland and the UK, like so, so terrible that, uh, you know, I would never even think about trying it anywhere, even if it's like the best fried chicken you can get. So yeah, Popeyes was probably the best one I had. Man. <laughs> I just think this is hilarious. He's from Northern Ireland, he comes over here and he's eating fried chicken and sweet tea. Man, that's beautiful. Okay, can you do a, can you do a, a Southern accent? Can you do a Southern accent? Uh, not really, no, no. It's more like um, you just, when I live in Barcelona and you just hear so many uh, American students, like Erasmus students over. And you overhear them in like nightclubs or in bars. And that's that's just the thing that's sort of burned into my mind. So I don't think I could do a decent Southern accent, I'm afraid. I would just, I would humiliate myself. <laughs> well, I heard, you, I heard you do a good uh, a London Cockney accent. Back, buddy. Yo, BT, what's going oh on? Oh my God, man. I was, I was, I was, I was, uh, we were just getting really good then. We were talking about fried chicken. And next thing you know, <laughs> you eating fried chicken and telling me about fried chicken. And I was trying to get you to do a London Cockney accent because I heard you do a great London Cockney accent. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. So I'm guessing you've been speaking to Steve then, Steve Day. I, 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 I can't. I cannot t tell you my sources. You know, you're a journalist. You know oh, how that goes. Right. Okay, no worries. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? You want me to do a Cockney accent? Yes, or? please. Okay, well, I don't know if you, um, there's basically like a famous English actor and he's famous for being quite bad. Um, and he's always like showing up in these like terrible films where he's like a, a football hooligan and a uh, bit of a hard guy. Yeah, he's just become like a bit of a parody. So when I'm doing a, a London accent, you're basically just like imitating this one, this one dude, you know. Um, but yeah, he talks a little bit like this, you know. All right, Gavin, what's going on? You all good? <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not anything special, man. <laughs> <laughs> you had the face of, all right, governor, look here. Look here, we're going to get the money. And you get in the car, you understand? It's a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can do, too. You, you got it done, man. You got it done. Well, you know, I, I take classes for this. You're just naturally good, though. You're just naturally I'm good. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> it's just just watching way too many movies and uh <laughs> well you know that's what i do though if you watch my instagram i have that minute long movie review 
watch that, yeah, man. watch that, and I and I give you my reviews to watch those movies, man. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Cause I figure a minute of me is about as much as people can stand. Ask anybody in the MotoGP paddock. They see me coming, they go, oh, God, there he is. And so I figure a minute of me is about as much as people could stand. So that's that's why I call it the minute-long movie review. So, yeah. Yeah, I was always, like, telling you I had to go and commentate. <laughs> but really, it was just I couldn't stand more than one minute. <laughs> trust me. Trust me. I get it. Trust me. I get it. Hey, listen. Okay, so now let's get to the GP part. And also, you know what? And I have to tell you this, man. Your articles are fire, bro. I mean, honestly, the, the stuff you did for uh, On Track, Off Road, those articles are, man, you are a great, and I do mean a great journalist, because you speak how people want somebody to speak. I mean, it's not like just like a, like a high kind of snooty kind of, okay. I mean, you, it, 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 you feel it more. It's like a personalized version where I love, don't get me wrong, I love, love, love Dave Emmett. I love him. And it's, but it's technical and it's to the point. And, it's, and you, it's more of a different, it's almost like uh, Richard Pryor and George Carlin. George Carlin was great at observation. <laughs> and Richard Pryor was, to me, you felt him more. You felt like that human, human, human condition. So, and, and a couple articles stand out to me. The one with Maverick Vinales, how you, uh, you felt our frustration with Maverick. Now, everybody does. Like, you know, he, he gets the front row starts. And then what the fuck happens after that? I mean, like, you know what I mean? I mean, and, and, and you, and when I read your article, it's like, yes, you, it's almost every person read it had to go, yes, you nailed that. <laughs> That's very kind of you, BT. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. No, it's the truth though. I mean, so what you're writing stuff, do you write like that on purpose where you want people to feel that, that human connection where it's not so much technical with the bike and, you know, you're going to set the bike three centimeters or, or they got a brand new shock. So what the shock should do with the bike, it's more of a, the person, the rider, what's in his head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's not like I make a conscious decision of going down one particular path or whatever. It's just that's sort of how I, how I write. I, I don't really know how to, to explain it. It's more just I sit down and have these thoughts about maybe what is affecting this particular person or what's causing this particular result. And, uh, and yeah, that's what comes out. So um, yeah, it's not like I make a conscious effort of having to veer away from technical um, points or technical analysis it's just more like okay i think this is probably what the guy's experiencing and maybe from talking to a few people i think this is probably what's going on in his head right now like i said you nailed the maverick art i mean you nailed it and i, I don't know why like i always tell people you know it's, i'm always bradley smith first because he's always been a great friend of mine and with maverick but i have a connection with maverick and even he said it when when uh when uh, uh matt interviewed him he said he's kind of a loner, you know, where everybody like, you know, Rossi has his his uh, his entourage. And even even though Fabi only has Tom, you know, he's got another dude. But you see Maverick and it's just Maverick. And, and like you said, it was like he kind of like put uh, put the team out when something went wrong. He kind of put the team on blast and not himself. And you were like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But isn't that I go? Yes, I was really going. You're right. He goes, doesn't that sound kind of like no offense, kind of crazy. Basically, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but then it sound like not the right thing to do. I was like, yes, like you nailed it. You're, they're so precise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy's uh, the guy's a puzzle, and I haven't watched him in MotoGP for what five, six years now. I think it's just uh, it becomes more puzzling the longer he's there because he's not really learning from his mistakes, um, and you, you don't see really an end to this. It's just like it, the same thing. He, the things that he complains about now are what he complained about in 2016. So, 
it's really difficult to understand. But at the same, people say that at the same time, other than Rossi Lorenzo in 2009, I think it was, he, the race he did in Moto3 it with Alex Renz last turn in Valencia, I say was the greatest race I've ever seen. Because, I mean, it came down because leading up to that, well, to the fly, and I, and I say the GP calendar is, is broken down in, in three places. I say the first half of the season, okay, that's when you're traveling Qatar to uh, Argentina to uh, the United States. And then the European round, that's the second part. And then the flyaways, because you can have a great lead and you go to flyaways, and man, that, those are brutal. And I just think what he went through in Japan, we, uh, that little thing he got with the team, and he left and went home, and they go, hey, uh, we got a lawsuit here. That he goes, okay, I'll be back. And he came back, and he came back. You don't know where his head was, and he ended up reeling those victories off, and he set it up, and you couldn't ask for a better scenario. It was winner take all. And that's how, and that's how beautiful. It was him, God rest his soul, Louis Salam, and Alex Renz, and Jonas Fogel was in the middle somewhere in the way. And, man, the move he set on Alex Renz to this day just has the hair on my back standing up. So you knew he had the talent. You know he has the talent. And what he did in, 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 uh, when he was on Suzuki, won their first race in, in Silverstone. And he has the talent. And then sometimes you go, what the fuck? You don't know who, which, like, have they ever thought about getting a sports psychologist for him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I think like he tried a sports psychologist. Um, when was it? The, uh, the start of 2019, it might have been. He had that sort of, he tried to reform himself and rebrand himself and he changed his number. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. And at, at that time, I think he realized, you know what, I need to, I need to work on myself quite a bit. That was the end of 2018. Uh, he got a new crew chief and he got a couple of people that came to the track with him and tried to rejig his, his preparation. And he's definitely been a lot calmer since then. But still those uh he just gets it, it, it seems to me that he gets really flustered and he can't really handle his emotions when he's in the middle of a race and unless the race plays out absolutely to to his advantage then he just can't really hack the you know the things like being thrown at him you know he can't really adapt or he can't uh, sort of get his head around certain situations and uh yeah, you need to be you need to basically be prepared for for anything to 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 fight to get your elbows out and I don't think he's I don't think he's got that still and it's a it's a that's a shame man because it's what it's getting to the stage now where you're almost tempted to write him off and think I don't think he's ever going to make it but at the so same time okay but do you think we unfairly criticize him because at the same time the Yamaha's had troubles with their bike and Fabio, I love Fabio. Fabio's had troubles too, and he comes to the pad and he shows his emotion. I mean, you see it with him. I mean, he'll slam something down, he'll cry, he'll do whatever. And it's like, and I feel like sometimes we overly like, man, there's Maverick being Maverick, but at the same time, Fabio, I mean, you know, what happened last week? And I mean, granted, you know, he thinks uh, he, he touched the brakes on, on the lane angle going to turn one and he slides out. And that could be, what, did he choke or was it just like he said he thought it was going to be a crash? So he, he grabbed the brake. I mean, do you think we unfairly demonize Maverick and kind of let give Fabio a pass? Uh, I guess that's a good point. Yeah. What I would say is that, what, Fabio's 21, so he's uh, a lot more junior than Maverick. Um, and like last year was exceptional, um, but this year has been a bit ropey. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel that Maverick has, uh, has really learned. Or we, you know, I, I went back and read some of his comments from races in like 2015, 2016. 
Maverick's been saying the same things for like six years. And I know the bike isn't that great this year, or it hasn't been great when uh, at certain tracks and certain conditions. But, um, but yeah, man, I mean, like, what the hell? Like, you're supposed to have learned this stuff now. You're supposed to be able to adapt. You're, he's 25. He should be in like the peak of his career. And yeah, I mean, Fabio's still very, uh, very raw, still, I think, emotionally a little immature. You know, he gets way too emotional to be able to control his weekend in a, um, consistent manner um, but he's 21 so he'll learn that you hope because he's a really smart kid yeah and there's, there's times where I think that Maverick in terms of how he reacts to humans I don't think he's the best like at a human level of managing people around him because you've essentially got to be the, you're the pivot of your team and you have to basically motivate the people around you whenever you're a rider in one of these MotoGP teams you have to be a motivator you have to make sure that everyone is doing their job correctly and trust basically everyone to get the best out of them and I don't get the impression that Maverick is very good at that you know um he's the one I want to he's the one I want to interview I want to get him one-on-one in a room no no press no press uh officer just he and I Hashing out like I, I literally go, hey man, what the fuck, bro? And I think maybe maybe that's what he needs. You know what I mean? Maybe that's what he, he needs. That American black dude to go, hey man, what the fuck, bro? And maybe you know what I mean? I mean, you just never. Yeah. You do five minutes with you, and uh, suddenly he's world champion. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, like what was the key, Maverick? It was Black History Month in the United States. <laughs> that was the key. Me <laughs> winning. Yeah. You know, I I, um, I interviewed him. I was back in 2016 when he was having that really good year with Suzuki, and uh, it was it was quite funny actually because he had always been quite nice and jovial in his debriefs whenever the journalists were speaking with him. This was the first time I had just been in a room with with him, and I went to sit down. He was sitting at a table, and the press officer was like, "Yeah, just go over and sit down and you know chat." So I went over and I was like, "Hey, Maverick, how's it going?" Expecting to have a little bit of chat, and he was just like, he had his phone on his table. And he was just like sort of scrolling and he didn't even look at me. He was just like, hi. And I was like, so uh, how are you? Everything's okay. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, so first question then. <laughs> we'll skip the small talk. <laughs> so, so, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's like, he's, he's a cool guy and I like him. And it sounds like I'm really like, you know, all in a maverick today and i don't mean to be because i think he's a good person he's a nice guy oh yeah he means well but i, I just don't think he has that sort of air about and that big personality around people that yeah. you know is kind of like the glue that brings a team together you know i feel the same way he's always been like it's weird i feel the same way like he's been like really really nice to me sometimes somebody he'll just like blow me up and like okay you know, and it's like almost like you said, but for some reason, I don't know why. Maybe it's the loner in me that I that's where I connect with him. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I like to go places by myself and everything by myself and I close people off. And even he said that it was an interview with Matt. That's what I went. Bam. Because he goes, I'm kind of a loner and I try to figure it out by myself. And then I was like, bam. So I wonder what his childhood was like. I wonder what, you know, maybe something happened when he was growing up that made him go, OK, it's just me against the world. I don't need anybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he, he had quite a complicated um, childhood, you know, and I think you find with a lot of these guys in any sport, really, the, the kind of the more complicated the childhood is, maybe the, you know, that you can see that having an impact on their temperament and how they how they deal with pressure and how they deal with certain certain challenges. Um, I don't think Maverick had much contact with his mother, like, um, or he definitely doesn't have much contact with his mother now. I think the relationship with his dad is quite on and off. And then as you say, he's a loner, like he doesn't really have like, 
sort of friends or, or anything. Um, like Steve, Steve Bay, uh, my colleague um, who hosts the press conference, um, went to speak to Maverick after he won the second race in Misano. Mm-hmm. And, you know, riders normally come to the press conference with their, um, you know, their helper, their assistant, and their press officer. And Maverick was just completely alone. And he was trying to, I think he was trying to carry his drinks bottle, his helmet, and his trophy off. And Steve was like, um, do you need a hand, Maverick? And he was like, oh, no, it's okay. I'll just, I'll carry all these by myself. And he was like, okay, uh, any wild celebrations tonight? And he was like, no, I'll probably just go back home to my house. You know, I live alone. And Steve said he like actually wanted to just go and give him a hug. You know, like he just he was like, man, that's kind of sad. You should be going out and getting drunk and but, but that, meeting your friend. But that's him. And also, if you notice, he had a he had an Instagram video where he was getting a tattoo in his house, but it was just he and the tattoo guy. You know what I mean? And so it's like, in a way, I kind of respect that because you know when you get that that big entourage like Arasi has. You know, you're like, oh, okay, you got to get, you know, you got to do all these people or somebody else. And, and just him, it's like him against the world. And maybe, like I said, maybe I could, I could be the one that goes, listen, man, I know what, I know what it's like. I grew up, me and my mom went at it sometimes, but man, what you need to do, Maverick. And maybe I can break him down, like kind of like a Dr. Phil intervention, you know, I could be the black <laughs> Dr. Phil to him. And you get him to open up, maybe he starts crying. I go, it's okay, man, we got you, bro. We got you, Top Gun. And he goes out and just blitzes the field. And they go, what got into you? Like, he comes into, like, the press conference. He's getting everybody candy. He's hugging them. He's kissing babies. You know what I mean? Maybe, that, maybe that's what he needs. Yeah, exactly. And then when, he, when he's given his, like, champion's press conference, he just says, i got to thank one man. One man turned my fortunes around. Name's BT. <laughs> That's like, how this story plays out, right? I like to call him Black Jesus. Like, oh, thanks, man. I'm at home with a tear coming down my eye. Like, ah, oh, thank you, man. <laughs> now, now, you know what Good I love though, honestly, and the reason I say I love Moto Three is because that's where you see the dream. Like, the dream is, is going to either get realized or it's it's going to be it's going to dissipate. And I love it because they're they're this close. To realizing it. I mean, don't get me wrong, they got to go to Moto 2, but Moto 3 is okay. This is the step you really got to step it up. You know, they've gone through the CEBs or whatever, and it's like, mm. I love Moto 3. And what is it about Moto 3 that you like? And what riders, me personally, I, I, I love them all. I really do. I had a uh, Sasaki on last week. That guy is great. Oh, cool. How, nice. I love that guy. Funny guy. I think raw talent, and I hate that he's leaving, but I understand is Raul Fernandez. I think that guy has got uber amounts of talent. Unfortunately, his body's betraying him, and he's going to be like a Scott Redding where he's getting, you know, he's bigger, so he has to go to Moto2. But I think another year in Moto3, and I think he would just blitz the field. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. That guy's super talented. Um, Yeah, I love Moto3. Just, I mean, the racing is, it's amazing. I can't think of any class in motorsport which produces racing quite like Moto3. Uh, I think Fernandez's uh, win last weekend was the first time yes. the winning margin was over four tenths of a second yes. all year. So, I mean, you're talking about racing, which is just super, super close, decided by like the finest margins. And sometimes it's a bit random and it's a bit chaotic, but I think if you can see a guy consistently winning in that, in that class, you know, right, this kid's got something special. You know, when you look back in the last couple of years, Brad Binder managed to dominate. Oh He's gone on to Bender, Bender did. Bender destroyed people. When he, and I think it was Hareth, when he had the problem, he had to start the back of the grid, and he was pissed off, and he didn't talk to the, you know, the on-grid uh, interview. He waved him off and said, no, I'm good. 
And when he found he had when he found he had that penalty, I think he told Ioki, I, I, I think he told him or somebody goes, I'm gonna win this. Cause it, and he left the, the meeting where I found he had to start last. And what he did may may have been the greatest Moto 3 race I've ever seen. Other than Fanati winning by 25 seconds in the rain. You remember yeah, remember yeah. that? Yeah. He he was, yeah, yeah. he was killing him in the rain. But I think what, what Bender did to start very last and to win by over 10 seconds. That that yes. was unbelievable. That's when you that's when you literally take somebody's will and you take it out of their body and you put it on the ground and you step on like a cigarette and that's what he did. That's when you go, yeah. oh, what the fuck am I doing here? I mean, what am I doing here? <laughs> he started dead last. I was on the second row and this guy beats us by ten seconds. I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah. Also, as like a, a a casual observer watching things like that, you think that kid did that when he was twenty one, and when I was twenty one, I was like, you know faffing around like oh what am i doing with my life you know like it was it just brings into perspective that these are kind of special people you know to be able to do that at that age you, you know, eating fried uh, chicken in charlotte north carolina going you know what i think i'm gonna get my life together <laughs> get any more biscuits baby <laughs> i would like to have more gravy <laughs> yeah, was, that, was, was, was that your southern <laughs> accent was that your southern accent <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry it wasn't good it wasn't good it's okay man now listen yeah, I, meant, I, meant ask, yeah, I meant to ask where are you from because I, I don't think i've ever like you're obviously from the states but where like whereabouts are you from are I, you from the south you from... well, well kind i grew up born and raised in oklahoma so uh okay. I, so i have walmart in my blood i'm, I'm a cheap person I, I, <laughs> my, and i say this as a joke but it's true my entire family except for me has worked for walmart Ah, you're back, man. I apologize. We don't know what's going on. I think it's Zoom, man. Zoom's a problem. Yeah, don't worry about it, man. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was Zoom. What were we talking about before? It was, oh, I was, I was, I was born and raised in Oklahoma. So, right. and my entire family worked for Walmart, except for me. I'm the only one that didn't work for Walmart. No way. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I, I'm kind of a Target kind of guy. I think you tell I have like a little air about me, like a Target air, you know? I got a pair Is of captions. Is there a hierarchy with uh, with Target and, and Walmart? Oh my America? god, dude! It's it's like gang wars, man. If you walk into a if you walk into a Walmart with red and and khakis, oh man, you might get shot, bro. You might, you might get beat up by a three hundred fifty pound woman with four kids, man. I mean, seriously, it's it's like it's Walmart for life, bro. It's Walmart for life, Neil. Uh, so that's what they mean when they do that. It's for Walmart. It's Walmart, bro. It's, it's what it is. Hey, think about okay, the Bloods and the Crips started in nineteen fifty eight. Walmart started back in nineteen fifty eight. Hey, I'll, that's all I gotta say, man. Right, but Walmart's <laughs> blue. Right, the Crips are blue. Bloods right, right. are red. Targets red. That's all I gotta say. And every time there's a Target uh, across the street or down the street, there's a Walmart. Let me tell you, Neil. I know about these. I know about these wars, Neil. You don't know about these wars, bro. That's straight <laughs> up the United States. You wanna know about that, Neil? Don't wanna know about that. So when you come to Texas, you uh, you look me up. I don't want you, you know, getting no trouble. <laughs> it's good to know, man. Next time I'm over. Please do. But yeah. please do. But hey, listen, uh, before Zoom messes up again, I want to say another great article you wrote and you just wrote it was the long goodbye about Andrea Iannone. Because yesterday in GP was like, oh, my God, like Dovey, Dovey said he's taking a sabbatical. But I mean, what, 30, 35 and take a year off? I mean, let's be honest here, man. I mean, I think it's pretty much a goodbye. Yeah, yeah, you would say so. Uh, I mean, he, he seems to be, he's saying that he intends to be back in 2022. But um, yeah, a guy at that age with all the young talent coming through, it's really difficult to see what the situation will be. Yeah, exactly. The only possible thing that I can think of 
and this is just you know random thoughts but like if mark's injury is worse than everyone's letting on you know maybe dovey's just like thinking i could like be that replacement rider for some races next year but i mean that's a long shot that's a real long shot now, have you heard anything about that though? Because I mean, there's all that speculation out there about Mark's injury, but have you heard like maybe it might be? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, there was that rumor about um, about him going for a third operation on the arm, um, and people asked Alberto Puig's team manager about it in uh, what was the last place, Aragon, and Puig didn't deny it. So, I mean, there's definitely truth to that story that he's considering it, which makes you think that yeah, it's, it's probably not healing as he would like. However, you know, does that mean he won't be able to get back on a bike in one month? Or does that mean he won't be able to get back on a bike in four months or five months? Who knows? Um, just pure speculation. But what is for sure is that kind of group of people around Mark is just not letting any news get out, you know. Uh, Which is good, though. Which is mm. good. You know, I like I like that. And I like how Alex was like, I'm not going to answer any more questions about Mark. Yeah. It's about me. And I like how he goes, when he uh, got that second in uh, Aragon, was it Aragon? He goes, listen, man. He basically said, listen, I'm a, cha I'm a world champion. I'm a two-time world champion. So don't act like I'm a Rudy boot, okay? Because I've been here before. You know, I'll, I'll put that time in, okay? So don't act like, oh, you got that ride because of your brother. I'm here because I'm a two-time world champion. Read it, bitches. That's basically what he said. I mean, let's be honest here. And he's right, though. And I'm glad he, st and I'm glad he stood up on his laurels because I mean, he had to be hearing the whisper and people going, oh, he only got the right because of his brother. And if you think about this, he's going to get, correct me if I'm wrong, he's going to get the same bike next year that he's riding this year, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, just in a different team. So, so he's going to have that advantage. I think, I think he's going to have a monster year next year. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, man. I think uh, Paul, who's obviously coming across the Repsol, Paul Spargo to replace Alex. I think he's got his work cut out to try and beat Alex next year, really. Um, and, 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 you know, Alex has said that it's his intention to get back into the Repsol team yeah. as soon as possible. So, you know, if Alex kicks Paul's ass next year, who's to say that, you know, he won't be back in Repsol pretty soon? I love Paul. I call it. I call him the handsome bastard because that's what he is. He's just got it all. He's got, he's got the movie star smile, the looks. And I'm, but I'm not going to lie. I just I feel for the guy because he wanted to be the first guy for uh, the KTM to get that win, and then Bender wins it, and then he go okay the next week, and then and then Miguel Oliveira won it, <laughs> and he had to keep and he had to eat crow because Miguel Oliveira said that shit about him in in the paper, going, you know we're not all bo born with the same kind of intelligence, and and, and Paul was like. Who says that? And then he goes, he didn't even say he was sorry. And then he was, he was in his head, and then he beats him, and he beats him next week. And, yeah, in <laughs> Austria. And now Paul, I mean, he's he did great results, but he hadn't gotten that win yet. And if he leaves KT and I get in the win, you know what that's like? It's like bringing the hot chick to the club, and she ends up leaving with somebody else. And you go, are you fucking serious? <laughs> I bought you dinner. I bought you Popeyes. I got you. I got you the biscuit and the combo meal and the gallon of sweet tea. You gonna leave with this dude? That, that's what. <laughs> yeah, I got you two tubs of gravy 
and you're walking away from me? Like, and the this? hush puppies. I got you the hush puppies, and you're going to leave with this. <laughs> That's what it's like, man. I just, and I feel, I feel for Paul. I really do. And I, I, I really hope he gets that win the next two weekends. I get that win the next two weekends. I hope he does. Now, I'm going to ask you this. What do you see that we don't see? I mean, to the outside. Like, I always tell people, I'm like Toby Tyler, that kid who wants to join a circus, and he gets as close as he can, and they're nice to him, and they sign the autographs. And he's like, okay, guys. And then the door closes, and there's what we don't see. What do you see that we don't see? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I guess I see that um, my impression of the sport looking in from the outside as a fan um, was that everything is just like super glamorous and, you know, glitzy. And uh, there's definitely times when you don't get that sort of glamorous thought. Like, for example, Valencia this weekend. Valencia is a beautiful city, but the circuit is out in a basically, well, you know, you've been there. Yeah, like I in love the park. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And, it, it, you know, when there's like 100,000 people there, there's great atmosphere and it's it's kind of special. But when it's empty, like it is now, obviously, in, in these sort of times that we're living through, um, it's just like a big industrial park. And you're like, yeah, this isn't that inspiring, really. You know, like I'm looking at it, just big slabs of gray concrete everywhere. Like I'm not I'm not feeling it, you know. Um, so there's times, we, there's times we get that. And then also just the fact that riders are just normal people, you know, I idolized them growing up and even still sometimes today you're like whoa like that's that's rossi over there you know but yeah. you realize that they're just like they're, they're slightly different and weird in certain ways ultra competitive and you know they uh, get very anal about certain things and little small specifics but generally like what, like what? You, have, you, you have to name the don't, don't name the writer i don't want to put anybody on blast but what like what kind of like anal things that you go wow really that i mean like what kind of little in, in, idiosyncrasies do they have uh you know um basically who they interact with or how they deal with sometimes with fans or money i mean writers are kind of like very particular and very uh, you know, they, they try and safeguard their, their money. And sometimes it's almost like they're in a competition, like I've got more sponsorship deals than him. And it doesn't really make sense. It's like, you're rich, man. You know, that, that should be enough for you. You don't need to really? you don't need to worry about having more money from this sponsorship deal than that guy. Um, those little things. However, that being said, I think the majority of the guys that you see in MotoGP are, are pretty regular dudes. You know, there's the exception, you know, you've got your Lorenzo's and your Biannone's who are different. But, um, I was just getting to that. Now, I, I personally, and you might uh, have a different re interaction. I, I've always said Lorenzo, Lorenzo was 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 um, unfairly ca uh, characterized. I thought he was. I thought he was a good dude. He's a, a little a little socially awkward, but he he's a guy that he'll tell a joke or hear a joke, and instead of laughing, he'll take it one step further where it gets awkward. You know. Like, or he'll, and you go, hey, you should have stopped there. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, I felt he was that way, but I always felt Iannone, and I read your article, and I, which, like, I cannot, if anybody's watching, go to On Track Off Road, read the article called The Last, The Long Goodbye about Andre, uh, Andre Iannone, and basically how he pissed away his career. And I promise you that is one of the best articles you will ever read. The, how you set that up and how riders want to go out waving to the crowd. Maybe finish on a podium, you know, better than an ambulance ride. And how you say, and uh, instead, Iannone finished with a 674-page uh, uh, WordPress release. Oh, my God. Dude, when you <laughs> wrote that, I was like, motherfucker. 
that just nailed it. That hit me in the fucking feels, bro. Because, I mean, that's, I was like, it's the truth. We all, I mean, everybody who's done their time, and they kind of deserve it. I mean, I don't care what you say. Rossi deserves that time. He, he deserves the fans to be full, the stands to be full, and him to come out doing a wheelie, waving to him. He deserves that shit for what he's done for GP. He deserves all the accolades, man. I felt bad for Chad Reed this year in, in, in Supercross. He didn't get that. He got a, 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 an empty stadium in, 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 uh, in Salt Lake City. And I, we, I wish he would get the, 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 fair, you know, the fanfare. But Iannone, he did that to himself. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I... I, I still don't, it's not definitive proof that he, you know, he definitely engaged in, in doping, but um, it certainly didn't look good for his defense. What we saw in that statement, you know, he, he was unable to like prove even the most basic aspects of, of his defense. Um, you know, he, he claimed that he didn't uh, knowingly uh, ingest that anabolic steroid and it was through food con contamination. However, the, Court of Arbitration of Sport ruled that Ian only wasn't able, able to say what the food was that he ate or where he ate it. And it's like, man, like, at least get your story straight. You know, yes. like, if you're going to lie, get it straight. Get the specifics there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's um, like if you're, if you're going to do wrong, do wrong the right way. You know, the girlfriend goes, where were you? <laughs> I was with Ron. Isn't that right, Ron? You call him up. Where was he at? He was with me the whole night. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, he can't, go, he can't go, huh? I ain't seen him about two weeks. Go, God damn it. You know what I mean? Get your story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had a deal. <laughs> exactly. And what yeah. sucks about Iannone is, and I've always said this, man, and even before I read the article, and I just from the naked eye, watching him from the get-go, he was the only one in Moto2 when his head was right, he could challenge Mark Ed. He wasn't afraid of Mark. And if Mark banged you, he'd bang him back and look over like, this is what we going to do all race? We can do this all race. And Mark was like, okay. I just remember after a race, I think Mark kind of gave him one of them, all right, all right, that's yeah. what we doing. And, you know, yeah, you, you're damn right. And, it, and that was beautiful to watch. When Ian Noni was on his game and oh, Mark man. was going through people, just banging them, and they were like, oh, God, Marcus. And Ian Noni was like, bring it. Brain, yeah. and that's and anybody to a person knows he had to be one of the this naturally talented guy. I didn't mean naturally talented, and to watch him piss it all away. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you, you have to have like a certain level of intellect to survive at the top of this sport. And Ian only, you don't want to be horrible, but I just don't think he had that, and I just don't think he had like that focus, like to just think about racing all the time. You know, there's so many. Weekends you would come to a race and you would hear stories like, oh, yeah, he was in the Italian tabloid papers because he's having, you know, he's doing this with his girlfriend or he's like broken into his car. Or, you know, just all these like random things. That was things. a he's crazy partying. video. When he broke yeah. into his car, he left, left, I was like, what are you doing, bro? And the, <laughs> an article, he goes, what, what do you do when you're not racing motorcycles off track? I train and I fuck. And you go, okay. Oh, he actually said that. I train and I fuck. Okay. All right. I mean... Uh, yeah, so you read, yeah. uh, you know, War. What do you think of War and Peace, Andre? You know, it was never going to be a guy you would have that conversation with. Um, but I mean, he's he's had a successful career. He's dated some of the most famous women in Italy and South America, and he's, you know, fantastically rich. So he's, you know, carved out a decent life for himself. But it could have been so much better with the talent that he has. It could have been he could have been a multiple world champion. 
But at the end of the day, you think he'll get it at the end of the day? When he's 60 or 65, he's got a big pot belly. Who knows? Maybe he'll, live in, maybe he'll be living in Charlotte eating Popeyes. You think he'll be watching the MotoGP podcast, listening to you going, uh, this is uh, Neil, uh, Amy, Pit Lane. And he'll be like, ah, Neil, I remember we interviewed me. Um, hush puppies. And he'll think, I had it all and I pissed it all away. You think he'll think that? Yeah, I think you'll think that. No, I don't think, I think you'll, it's obviously this will be eating him up and stuff, but he's, uh, I think he's opened uh, a club um, recently, a nightclub and a restaurant. So I'm sure he'll like be fairly successful if he invests his money in the right way. Who knows, man? But Ah. it's a shame because as you say, like he was, when he was on his game, he was one of the best guys to watch. He was one of the the bravest, yes, ballsiest guys. He, he's straight balls, straight ball. Yeah. Love to watch him when he was he was on and he was focused. And you had the horse binders on, like, okay, you you got to win this race. He go, I got you. And then yeah. the advisor come down. Even Mark is like, uh oh. I mean, if, if Mark goes, uh oh, that's when you know. That's when you know somebody's coming, man. Because Mark was never afraid of anybody. But Ian is the only one I know that would make Mark go, ooh. You know what I mean? For sure, man. For sure. Yeah, exactly. And he had the opportunities, man. But, um, you know, he raced for some of the best teams with the best bikes. And it just, yeah, never worked out. So that brings me to another question I want to ask you. What riders have you pissed off? And ha- or have you pissed off any riders uh, reporting? And have they, have they held a grudge? Or they just realized, okay, you're just doing your job? Yeah, yeah, pissed off a few riders. Yeah, I think it's just uh, it's part of the job. And, you know, I think in certain situations, a bit of an experience you, you kind of sometimes I, when I first got into it, I wasn't really known. I didn't really have a profile and you would, if a rider kind of said something to you about another rider, um, you know, like, Oh, that guy was a bit of an asshole or, you know, he did something dirty in that race. I remember like at first I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Well, like, you know, let's make that the center point of the story. And you realize that that's not how you make relationships with people. You, yeah. you, you know, you kind of got to, keep that a bit more discreet um sometimes they're saying that to you just for you not for right. the wider audience you know yeah. so uh, yeah so in the first um first couple of years yeah there was one or two instances um I, I seem to remember uh jack miller uh got in a bit of trouble because he said to me like he it was when he was with honda and uh he really one debrief i was at it was just me and he really laid into honda big time you know that fucking bikes fucking slayer in it Fucking don't get any fucking updates, you know. I was like, whoa, okay. And I probably should have said in the article, Jack uh, said that he doesn't get any updates, but of course I wrote word for word, I don't get any fucking updates from fucking Honda. So <clears throat> the next race I go to, um, someone from Honda comes over and they go, you wrote that Jack Miller article, didn't you? And I was like, yes. And they were like, and just walked away. <laughs> I was like, oh dear, like, so Jack's in big trouble. And then uh, I think I was walking through a paddock like maybe a couple of weeks afterwards and uh, Jack was on his like pit bike <laughs> coming down and uh, I can, he, we sort of like caught each other's eye and I like sort of nodded to say hello and he just went. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, shit, man. Yeah, I guess like, but I mean, it wasn't as if I made up what he said. Um, you know, yeah. I, I wasn't devious. It was just yeah. probably a bit naive on my part, you know, that okay. I, Naiti- I kind of... Naivety. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. That, have you guys kissed and made up since then? Oh, ne- never knowingly, but, uh, you know, I think we've... I, he hasn't given me the finger since then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that, man. I'm not going to lie. It's like I've done shows in front of, you know, like 3,000, you know, the, the- theaters and this and that. 
And I tell people, nothing makes me more nervous than you see a prickly Rossi come to the door or Marquez, and you're like from here, to, uh, and you're like 10, 20 feet away from them, and you can tell they're pissed off, and you're going, uh, I'd like to ask a question. And then, and Rossi's looking at you, and you ask this question, he goes, and, then, and that's where I got this from, because he goes, I, it was the year in the, um, when uh, he got mad at Zarco for that move he pulled in Austin. And I said yeah, something, yeah. and he goes, the championship doesn't start till you get to Europe. This is nothing. He basically said, this ain't shit. When it starts when we get to Europe. And he said it like with a, with a, with a little two to it. And I was like, all right, man. And so the next year, <laughs> I threw it back in his face. I go, and I said, yeah, I want to ask this to Valentino Rossi. I said, you said in your own words that the championship didn't start till you get to Europe. But I said it, and I said it just like that. But he was happy because he had gotten second to rent. So he was happy. He goes, he was like, well, obviously, he goes, well, you know, he goes, well, the champion. and he was happy. So, you know, I kind of threw it back in his face. It was kind of like a, hey, motherfucker. You know, I threw it back in his face, and he was like, ah, I don't, I don't remember saying that. But, and then I remember Jack Miller intimidates me, so I, I, so I said, you know what, I got to go at him. So I said, hey, Jack, I said, the only thing you're missing is consistency. What do you think? And he looked at me, and he answered the question, and I saw him that night at the after party, and he gave me a hug. He go, man, way to ask me the question, Mike. And he gave me one of them hugs, and he was off on his way. And I was like, yes, I'm in. Part of the club. So I feel for you on that. Now, now what rider has ever intimidated you? I mean, especially where you're at now. What rider has ever made you go, oh, boy. Oh, boy, I better get these questions down right. Um, I mean, I came into the paddock, the first year I worked in MotoGP was in 2015. So I just missed, uh, Casey, Casey Stoner. Um, and I really regret that, you know, I, like that's one, I just wish I had even just a weekend where I could have, I could have, um, spoken to him because speaking to some of my colleagues, the, the stories they tell about him, like he was the guy that would willingly point you out and be like, that's a, that's a stupid fucking question. Why are you asking me that? You know, and that's, that sort of thing's quite funny, you know, or quite fun. It gives you a bit of a buzz when you're going to a debrief because you're a bit like nervous, like, am I going to get shot at that? Um, but I mean, in terms of intimidation, I mean, not really intimidating, but I, I guess you're, you're wary around someone like Kyle Crutzlow, not to ask him a stupid question just because <laughs> that's there, even though he's like a nice guy, that's there. It's yes. quite intimidating those eyes um and then Ian Oni himself he was like quite confrontational you know he could sometimes just be like what you know like, what are you asking me well, weren't um, you guys weren't you guys together alone in a room and he and I kind of confronted you like <clears throat> it was just you and him together and you was he was and it was and he kind of like you know like kind of confronted you like did you get nervous like scared like oh shit what if he throws a punch well with him he was just like so ridiculous sometimes that I just like would laugh because I was like, mate, you're just you're giving me shit for asking your question. Like, wise up, you know. Like, there was one time I think where um, Steve Steve Day was there, and we were waiting for him at a debrief, and he was just like standing on his phone, you know, just texting away. And we were all like, all the, like, there was a couple of journalists like waiting, like, come on, man, like, hurry the hurry the hell up. And um, so I kind of approached him, and I was like, well, I'll just ask him a question while he's on his phone. So I said, Andrea. You know, today, how was it? Are you happy? What's going on? And he like looked up and he just looked at me like I was a cockroach, man. He was just like, what? <laughs> like, what do you do to that? You just have to laugh because it's just so ridiculous. Like, I'm just asking you how your day was, man. Like, you know, I haven't like, I haven't stolen your girlfriend or you know, you lost your car. Like, <laughs> so yeah, he was, he was a character. 
That is great, man. That is great. Listen, before we before we get out of here, I'm gonna ask you a couple questions from the fans and some from me. So we're gonna get to. We gotta wrap it up. Oh my, I could talk to you all day, man. I, they told me. That Steve said, man. He goes, he's a lovely guy. Blah, blah, blah. And then and I asked Matt for dirt. And Matt was like, oh, ask him, did he shit himself during Q1 at Qatar? <laughs> He's the one that said that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay, let me ask you these questions. Okay. So, who's the most underrated rider in Moto 3 right now? Underrated. Who's not maybe getting the results for whatever reasons, but he has uber amounts of talent. Underrated uh, rider in Moto 3. Um, I think Darren Binder, maybe. Could you call him underrated? Um, you think Binder's underrated? maybe i don't know like uh i mean someone that people don't really talk about that much um i mean i think binder's pretty special in terms of the talent that he's got um i don't think you what we've seen of him so far would suggest that he's going to be like a, a world champion but i think he could be a, i think he could win a world championship next year in moto 3 he's going to a great team um next to john mcphee oh, in the Patrona squad yeah that's gonna be a tough team that's going to yeah, be yeah. vicious, man. Those two guys may fee another year. He's going to be a little pissy because he didn't go to Moto2. I think he's going to be. <laughs> so his head's got to get right, you know, because he thought he was getting promoted. And all of a sudden he goes, what? I got to come back here with these kids? You know what I mean? I got to babysit again? That's what, he, that's, that's what he's like. So, okay. So, Dan, okay. So, who is the most unlucky, for whatever reason, who's the most unlucky rider in Moto2? Joe Roberts, Marco Bezecchi, Jorge Navarro. Augusta Fernandez or Lorenzo Baldessari, the most unlucky Moto2 rider this year? Well, bear in mind that Joe Roberts is an incredibly handsome guy who yes. comes from Hollywood and has, seems by all intents and purposes, got everything set. So I don't think we'd call Joe unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of what happens on the track, I would think, um, yeah, Baldessari probably, just yeah. because like nothing has gone right for that guy. Um, and when nothing goes right in something like Model 2, you just start chasing your tail and it, it just becomes this huge mushroom cloud of misery. And I think that's kind of like where, he, where he's been. He seems to be getting zacked together now. Um, the last few weekends have been okay. But yeah, like that's, just been, that's just been a shit show. I, I think him and, uh, you know what, him and I think Fernandez is not having the year he wanted. But I think for Navarro also, though, I expect a lot of things from Navarro. And it just hadn't happened this year, and I feel so bad for him. Now, who's the most underrated rider in Moto2? Underrated rider in Moto2? Uh, 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 uh. Um, uh, underrated rider? That's a good question. You put me on the spot, man. You know what I'm going to say? Um, I think Remy, maybe? You could say Remy Gardner. I think that I think he's got a big, big talent, and uh, he's going to be a title challenger next year. Um, I mean, Remy's never really been in a... a what you would call a really good team. Yeah. Um, I mean, that team he's in this year is, is quite, it, it struggled for funding, maybe not the most professional setup. He's going to Aki's team next year. I think Remy's going to step it up and be a bit of a, be a, be a boss. That, that guy, he makes winners, man. I, I love that guy. I would love to have him on. He, he makes winners. I mean, if I had him, I'd like to my manager. I want him to be my manager. I mean, <laughs> that's <how> good. <laughs> yeah, you think, I've, you think I've got like a sort of like monotonous voice. You should speak to Aki Ion because it's like, it is properly like, yes, well, thank you, BT. Uh, nice to be on your show. Like, it would be, it would be great. You'd love that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, most underrated rider, underrated Moto MotoGP, underrated MotoGP. MotoGP, yeah, yeah, 
Um, I'm going to say Alex Marquez, you know, because that guy, uh, I don't think people realize just how good a rider Alex Marquez is. I mean, he's, he's won championships in Moto3, Moto2. Um, we saw what he can do. His first wet race, man, he was like second. Like, yes. It usually takes riders like sometimes years to work out how to ride the MotoGP bike in the wet. And he was there, his first race, second. Could have won the race if it was a couple of laps longer. Uh, one more lap. One more lap yeah. he could have won that race. Yeah, and I think he gets a bit of a, an unfair rap that, okay, Mark, I think, had something to do with him getting that ride in, in, in Repsol this year. Yeah. But uh, he's gone about it in a real clinical way. And, um, yeah, I think I think Alex is Alex is a guy that yeah, could be regular. Well, maybe not regular, but he'll be, he'll be beating Paul next year, I think. Okay. Okay. That's the big statement. I'll hold you to that. And rapid fire, <laughs> top of the head. Rapid fire, top of the head. The champion in Moto3 will be? This year? This year. Arenas. Champion Moto2. This year. Bastianini. Don't think. Who? Bastianini. Bastianini. Oh, <laughs> nice. I like that. Nice. Champion in MotoGP will be? Mirror. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Mir. That dude, that dude is solid. I love. It. He's the kind of guy you go to the party and your girlfriend sees him, and you go, okay, she's she's <laughs> gone, and she goes with him, and you go, you know what? She deserves him. <laughs> they yeah. leave together. Yeah, the women want them, the men want to be him. <laughs> he's, he's that kind of guy. <laughs> he's just got it all. Man, Neil, God, I knew it was gonna be fun, man. They told me you would be. <laughs> Damn it, I. Love this. I did not know you love fried chicken this, this oh, much. Yeah, that's my my one passion aside from motorbikes. Like fried chicken is <laughs> dip that in a tub of gravy and I'm anyone's. <laughs> Man, when we go to Austin, I, I get I'm gonna get uh Sasaki, I'm gonna get him some boots and a hat, and I'm gonna get you some fried chicken. I'm bring you some fried chicken. How about that? That'd be great. I look forward good. To that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for Neil Morris. And if you get a chance, please read his articles in Moto Matters and On Track Off Road. I promise you, it's some of the greatest journalism you will ever read on On Track Off Road magazine. And the pictures, that is a beautiful online magazine. I mean, the pictures are beautiful. And your journalism is second to none, my friend. I mean that. Great journalism. If you like motorcycle journalism, please, Neil Morrison on On Track Off Road. Neil, I got to go. Thank you so much, buddy. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the accents and everything. And until Amy on Pit Lane did I say hello. <laughs> and I'll, be I'll be listening to you for the next two weeks. Awesome, Thank man. you so yeah, much, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. See you in Austin. <laughs> See you in Austin, buddy. Thank you so much. I'm BT. Yeah. And you know how we say when we leave the show, like we always say about this time, peace. <laughs>